0: Lord, we just come before you and ask you to bless this time as we look at your word and help us to see what you want us to see from this. Let your spirit lead us. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Numbers 21. And uh, last week we talked about the children of Israel asking to go through Edom. And the king said no and they were turn, turned away. So here's one. And when King Arad, uh, the Canaanite, which dwelt in the south, heard tell that Israel came by the way of the spies, then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. And Israel vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord hearkened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them in their cities. And he called the place Hormoth. And they, let's stop right there. So we have, the, we have a big battle that they've done. So we, we had them going up to Edom, which is the bottom of this map that I gave you, the, the territories there. And they asked for permission, if you remember, they go, you know, we'll stay on the highway. We won't drink the water. We won't eat, you know, we won't go off and trample on your fields. If we do any damage, we'll pay you. And he said, go away. And he brought his army up to the border, saying that, you know, he's ready to fight. And God had already told them they weren't to fight Edom because Edom was a relative of theirs. So they weren't allowed to, to fight them. So they turn around and they're now headed back south again. And remember, they're supposed to be going, they were supposed to go west and, and north to the promised land. And why are they wandering around the desert? Because they... Murmured and uttered. They murmured and uttered. Well, part of it, but what did, they, what did they? What specifically did they do to to wander for 40 years? They they had a fight with with Moses, and and God punished them. They sent the spies in, and remember, and they said, "We're not going in." Oh yeah. yeah. You know, we're gonna, you know, God, you're, you want us to go in there, just so our kids will yeah, die. Right. And God said, okay, fine, you'll wander for 40 years until, and we're grasshoppers. until you until you die, and your children will go take the land. Yeah, those people are giants, and we're um, grasshoppers. Right. They, they said they, you know, they're giants, and we look like grasshoppers in their eyes. And, and we come find out that they were worried about them. So it's, so now they're now they're headed south, and they're bordering Canaan, and and King Arad of the Canaanites decides to fight with them. And he goes and fights and he takes some prisoners. And the back history on this is that basically he attacked not the main strength of Israel, but the kind of the scragglers. Have you ever seen a herd that's moving in one line, the strong are always up front and the weaker kind of straggled out behind because they're not strong enough to keep up. And the, the, it is historically believed by the Jews that he went after this, this the weak which really made them angry you know it's bad enough to go and fight the strong but when you go after the old and the and the weak that so they made a vow now a vow in the Old Testament is a very serious thing to do it basically is God I will do this for you if you do this and if I don't fulfill it they put a big curse upon themselves okay so a vow is a very serious thing in the Old Testament and God says he expects people to keep their vows. And whether it's to their own hurt, he expects them to keep their vows. And so their their vow was that if God delivered them, then they would utterly destroy their cities. And this is a big deal because you didn't usually destroy cities when you conquered them because they gave you a great place to live. And that's where when when they finally go into the land in Joshua, they conquer the cities and they inhabit the cities and God says I've given you cities that you didn't build I gave you fields that you didn't didn't plow you know I gave you orchards you didn't you know you didn't plant so they're saying we will go in and and it says God listened to them and gave the Canaanites and they utterly destroyed them and their city and they named the place Hormah which means devotion okay so they did what they said they were going to do and uh we're going to look in here in verse 4. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom, and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. Okay, so they're supposed to be going north and, t- and, and east. They're going south, and you can see the Red Sea, you know, kind of looking like that finger. I've traced it in because it didn't copy very well. So they're going south of Edom along the Red Sea because they got to go around Edom. And if you know anything about that section that says Arabian Desert, it is a nowhere land. It is empty. And they're having to go the worst way they possibly could go. And it says they were dis- that they were discouraged. It literally means impatient and angry. <laughs> okay. They're moving away from the promised land instead of toward the promised land and we all know the israelite habit they murmur and complain about everything and they're going to get ready to murmur and complain some more. some more because they're going away from you know directly away from they're supposed to be going northwest and they're going southeast so they're going about as opposite the direction as you can possibly go so where are they going they started out at edom the south edge of the southeast uh, uh, southwest edge of edom and they're coming south along the Red Sea to go around Edom, and they're going to end up. We're going to see up around, up between Moab and Ammon. So, they're not they're not happy campers. Okay. So in other words, they're coming down this way, and they're going they, they to come around because they can't go off. Well, Edom wouldn't let them, and they're not allowed in the Promised Land yet. God won't let them get into the Promised Land yet. Because that strip between those places in the Mediterranean is the Promised Land, Can- Canaan and all of that, where the, Israel, where the nation Israel is now. So where is the Promised Land? This whole stretch here, up River Jordan, all the way up between the Red Sea and the, here's the Mediterranean, and this is the Promised Land. Okay. And this is where Israel is today. <laughs> so why couldn't they go around this way? Because they're not, God said they're going to wander in the desert for 40 years. They cannot go into the Promised Land. If they tried to go that way, God would have stopped them. (laughs) Because when they, remember when they, when Edom said they couldn't, when they, when they said they weren't weren't going to go in the Promised Land, and God says, okay, you're going to wander for 40 years. Remember they tried to go into the Promised Land and they got soundly thrashed by the enemy. And so the enemy right now in Promised Land is is kind of. Hyped up. They beat they beat Israel and they beat they beat Israel's God who has destroyed Egypt. So they're kind of hyped up. So they're they're ready. They're, they want Israel to come back so they can thrash them again. And so Israel's not going to go back. They're going to obey God reluctantly. So they're they're marching southeast to go around Edom, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. <laughs> Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loathes this light bread. Okay, so here are the children of Israel complaining again. I've lost count. I, I, I was keeping track of it, but somewhere along the line, I lost count of how many times they've complained between Egypt and here. but it has been dozens of times that they complained. And they always complain against God, but the one they complain to Moses. is Moses, and that is true of all, all leaders, churches, when, they, when people get frustrated, they, they complain to, against the pastor. They don't complain, you know, they really complain against God, but they complain against the pastor, and here's an example of it over and over again. Every time the people get upset, they complain to Moses, you know, look what you've done. Where have you led us? As if Moses was the one that destroyed Egypt. He's the one that is forcing, having this cloud and the pillar of, of fire that they're, that they're following wherever. You know, Moses is in full control of the boat, of all of this stuff. But, you know, and we know, and I, you know, I'm being facetious about that. It's not true. I mean, but the people always go to Moses and look and say, "Look what you are doing," because he's the the visible leader of where they're at. And we look at their complaint. There is no bread. In other words, they want regular bread. There is no water. And it says, our soul loathes. And this is not just loathing. This is contempt. They are in contempt of the light bread. And the light bread is manna. Okay. They've been given the perfect food. God feeds them every morning. But they are beginning to get to the place where they loathe manna. And we're closing in on 40 years here. I mean, we're... We're at 38 or 39 years. I mean, we're getting ready to take them into the promised land, but so I can understand they've had manna for 38 years, and manna, water, and quail. You would probably get di- tired of that di- diet. Now I'm sure they came up with all kinds of ways to cook manna. I don't know what, how you could cook manna, but I'm sure that they're brilliant cooks. Probably had you know 101 ways to cook manna. Cook manna. You know it's. You know, because people will do that with just about any food that you get. Somebody will come up with a cookbook with uh, you know hundreds or two hundred ways to cook this thing. but uh, but remember it's just a little seed. It's just a little seed. They probably ground it up into some kind of flour, but they're getting sick of it. It's a perfect food. It's kept them healthy. It's kept them without their feet stri- swelling. We'll read that their clothes lasted for four hundred uh, for, for the whole forty years. Their shoes lasted for 40 years. Their clothes didn't wear out. Yeah, their clothes didn't wear out. I mean, horror of horror for people who like shopping, you know, their clothes didn't wear out. (laughs) uh, But God gave them a food and gave them special blessings, and they never even recognized all the blessings they had. And this is why it's very important for us as Christians to make sure we're looking at how God is blessing us. We need to learn contentment with whatever God has given us. Paul said, I have learned to be content in much and in little. And Paul had times of both. And if we look at our Christian lives, we all have times when we have more than others. And then there's times when, boy, it seems like all we're having is the bare necessities. And as long as we learn to be content, God will bring it, cycle around to giving us blessings. Because those times of bare necessities or low, low times are to say, do you trust me? I, I told you I'd give you the, your, the necessities. I'll give you food, water, or, you know, some place to stay, and that's you know. In America, we're spoiled. We think necessities are a lot more than what the rest of the world thinks necessities are. You now, most places, if you've got a roof over your head, in, in many countries, if you have a roof over your head, and it's the same one every night, you're wealthy. You know, if you have two meals a day, you're wealthy. So, and here in America, if you don't have a roof over your head, a car in the garage, uh, three meals a day, you On know, cable lawn. TV, c- cable cable TV, and your and your telephone and, and friend, your internet, you're poor. My friend calls it "wham," and I go, "What's that? Walking around money? Yeah, you got to have a few bucks for walking around money. You know, and he'd give me a couple bucks." But Wham. God will keep us. He He keeps His promise. I thought the Spencer family was was a great testimony yes. of contentment. I mean, 15 people in that bus—that that's got to be. Stupid. And they seem happy, and yeah, they all, yeah. and they seem very happy, and and so it is. But God does things. Sometimes He'll test us and say, "Are you willing to rely on Him to keep His word? Are you?" And then once you've proven it, He'll open up open up the blessings again and say, "Okay." The key is, when we get blessed, we need to keep in, keep in our mind that it is a blessing, it is not the normal, because the moment we start considering it the normal and God's got to do it, then we're going to see him say, okay, let's, let's get you back to being content with little. And so we want to be careful about that, the children of Israel have, have God feeding them in the wilderness, giving them water in the wilderness, keeping the animals alive in the wilderness, you know, keeping them healthy. And we see that they're never content. They're always unhappy. And they're now back again against Moses. And verse 6. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people. And much of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said. We have sinned. We have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray unto the Lord that that he... Take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And this is what they keep doing. They murmur and complain. God judges. They at least appear to repent. (laughs) And I I really think that these repentances are, we're sorry we got caught type things. Uh, And that's a big, if somebody will repent and confess what they did before they get caught, I truly believe them. If they're repenting and confessing after they got caught, I don't put much stock in that, uh, because usually that's just a guilty conscience. I gotta look like I'm doing something. But if somebody confesses before they get caught, there's integrity in that. They're actually looking, they feel that conviction of the Spirit. And I think what they're doing here is say, uh, Moses, we got a problem here, We're, we're sorry, we're sorry. And Moses prays for them, just as he does every single time. And here's what, what what happens on this. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make you a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that every one that is bidden, when he looks upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it on a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bidden any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. So this is an idea and this pole that it talks about is literally a standard and if you know a standard it's a it basically it's a cross okay it's a cross and he had a snake they they did they a bronze serpent around it if you've ever seen the the fiducius, uh that the medical community wears it's based on that this print this verse of and it says that if they were bit all they had to do was look at the serpent or look at the cross and they would be healed. Now, this is something that would be very uh, non-intuitive. You know, when if you're, bit, you're dying, and this fiery serpent is literally means a poison that brings about a fever. When you're when you're suffering that bad, the first thing you're going to think about is looking at a cross, right? You know, no, you want <laughs> you want relief. So basically, it's saying if you have faith enough to obey God and look to this. Cross with the serpent on it, you will be healed. And this really takes us into how God does. This is a symbol for Jesus. Jesus died on the cross. He took the sin. And Jesus took all of our sins, all of our punishment. I want to just take a look. We're going to thumb through the Bible here real quick. We're going to go to Psalm 103. Verse three, let's start with verse, verse one. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. 103. 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeemeth your life from destruction? Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies? Who satisfies your mouth with good things? so that that your youth is renewed like the eagle. So this is what Jesus did. He took all iniquity and he took all diseases upon himself upon the cross. And this brass serpent is a picture of what Jesus is going to do. When they are dying, look to him. And this is for us, the same thing. When we're dying spiritually, we look to the cross. When we're followers of him and we look to the cross, we can be healed spiritually and physically. And God still does miracle healings. And I've seen them often. Does he do it all the time? No, because sometimes he wants to just say, learn contentment, learn contentment. When we're content, then he'll, most of the time he'll come along and heal. But God is wanting us to learn to be content. And that's the statement I'm learning to give people when they're griping about everything that's going on in their life or going on. Learn to be content with what God has given you. He, nothing that happens to us is a surprise to God. Rather than bitching and complaining. If you're always complaining and griping about it, Number one, it's not a great testimony because it shows you don't have a God. Number two, basically, what you're saying is God, you don't know what you're doing, and if you did, I wouldn't have all this stuff going on in my life. So it is basically we were doing just what the Jews did. God, you know, you took me out of this good this good place that I lived in, and you're putting me in this place where I'm starving and dying and and all these things. And God doesn't like it. God doesn't like that complaint. He, it's very important for us to understand. Anything that comes our way, God knows in advance what's coming our way. He know he, he had to give permission to Satan to come and give us the hard time. And it's all there for, for two reasons. To teach us contentment and to see if we're going to trust him. And we've been talking a lot about that. When God, when God teaches us something, he's going to test to see if we have learned our lesson. And so whatever God's teaching you in life, expect tests in it because he will test it and learn contentment and be content with whatever you have because our world is based on lack of contentment. That's what advertising is all about. Get people discontented with what they have and and the idea that they need something more. Most people do not need the newest brand new car that's out there, but how do they advertise them? They They don't advertise it as transportation, do they? When you look at a car, it is the thrill of, of moving, or even more, look at the computer, gadgets in it, and the, the radio, and how good this is, and how good that is. What they're trying to do is make you discontent with what you have, and build a desire for you to want something you don't need. That's what all of advertising is, is about. You can't live without. Yeah, you, can, you just can't live without, you know. And you've got to stay up with everybody Also, you know, if it's a status, God is saying, are you content? Now, that doesn't mean that he won't give us more later on. But we want to be very careful because, especially in America, we buy things we don't need to impress people that we don't know. And that's where the status comes from. You know, it's like, you know I bought this nice car so the people that don't know me will know, you know, see how special I am. And a lot of times if you you meet rich people who have nice houses, nice cars and everything, if you get to know them, they don't really own anything. And that nice house is empty because they can't afford to put furniture in it. Or if there is furniture in it's just more debt. And we think, oh, well, if you were rich, you can afford, can afford things. Well, if you live beyond your means, you still can't, you're still not happy. Uh, You can have a million dollars a year, and if you're spending a million five a year, you're not gonna be, you're gonna be under a lot of stress. Uh, so we want to be careful. Be, be content. And our world is based on that. Spend, 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 spend. Isaiah 53, 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We, yet we did esteem him stricken stricken of God and afflicted. And griefs here literally is sicknesses. And he has forgiven our, our sicknesses. So this again this Jesus and then one last verse is going to be in Luke chapter 9 starting at verse 1. Then he Jesus then he Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases and he sent them out to preach in the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. We have the spirit of God in us. We can pray for people and they can be healed. And I've prayed for many people over my lifetime, and I've seen many healings. It's very important. My daughter the other day was asking me, well, why don't we see more? And they, the basic reason is most people don't have enough faith to, to believe that people will get healed. Because especially here in America, we have enough doctors and insurance and everything that we, the first thing we will do, we, most of us won't pray first, we'll run to the doctor. Because the doctor has all the answers. He'll give me a pill that will mask the symptoms and I'll and I'll think that I've been healed. So we, you know, we need to be careful about this. We need to pray. Missionaries still see many miracles because they don't have doctors that they can run off to in the middle of the middle of nowhere. And so they have to pray, they have to depend on God, and they see the miracle still. And you'll have some people telling you, Well, the miracles that happened in the Bible don't happen anymore. They're lying. They don't know what they're talking about. People are still getting healed. People are still having miraculous things happen in their life. We see when people give their tithes and offering, God do miraculous things with their finances. We see God stretching food, and I've seen this on multiple occasions, and I'm sure I've seen it here on our end-of-the-month times when we have very little food and a lot of people, and everybody... is full when they leave, and there's still some food on the table. And I know that there's no way there should have been enough food on the table because there just wasn't enough for all the people that went through. And that's a pretty minor miracle as far as I'm concerned, but it, to me, it is still a miracle. You now, for people to and there's not enough food to leave full and still have a little left over—that's the same thing Jesus did: feed five thousand people with five loaves and, three, and two fish and have twelve baskets of food left over. That's a pretty good-sized miracle. <laughs> but God is always there. He can do whatever he's done in the past, he will do. And what he says he's going to do in the future in the book of Revelation, he will do. And he will do the same things today. We serve a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what he's done in the past, he is still doing. And will do in the future. And we, we limit him sometimes because of our quote-unquote, scientific, logical minds. Uh, And we get to the place where, well, God just can't do the supernatural. Well, that's what He is. He's supernatural. He's going to do the supernatural. And here we see them look up at the serpent and get saved and healed. We, in in our sinful state, look up at the cross where sin has been crucified and we get saved. Now, this fiery serpent, bronze fiery serpent, shows up one other place in the scriptures, and that's 2 Kings 18. And even in the days of the kings, the the people are still just as sinful. 2 Kings Kings 18. I'm going to start at verse 1. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, Hosea, son of Eli, King of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty-five years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty-nine years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Abbe, and the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. He removed the high places, he broke the images, he cut down the groves, and broke to In pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made, for unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Nehushtan. Uh, The brazen serpent became an idol, and the people worshipped the brass serpent until the days of Hezekiah when he destroyed the brass serpent. And can you imagine how much of a problem that was going to be? People, you know, Moses made this thing. How can you dare to destroy it? And yet, he destroyed it because it had become an idol. And we see this, how many times do we see this, where God does something miraculous in a, in a church or in a life, and people start worshiping the event more than they do God in many times. And I've seen this happen in some... Christian? Christmas. Well, Christmas is one of those things that people have changed and altered, and and made made into pretty much an idol, and, and they use use the wrong wrong way of worshiping. Easter is the same thing. Uh, everything we do in Easter is is part of the fertility goddess Estor's celebration and has nothing to do with Jesus. Uh, but even sometimes a church will have a big move of God where people get saved and God moves and people people are you know, getting active for God, and then they stop doing what doing what got the blessing, and they live on that blessing for years, and they're getting further and further away from God, but they're going, look what God did in our church. Yeah, and for sometimes it's really bad for churches, they look back and say, look what God did. Well, how about what is God doing? Okay, we want to be very careful. We never look back in our life and say, live in what God did in my life. Do I want to remember what He did in my life? Absolutely, because it encourages me as I go forward. But if I'm out here and I'm going, nothing new is going on in my life and I'm always looking back to, well, 15 years ago God, God did this and this and this for me, you know, well great. Where are you with God today? And very important because I've seen this over and over and over in churches, it gets stuck. In the past, and individuals as well. I, I think in churches, but individuals as well. They get stuck in the past. This is what God did. Wonderful. Thank, thank you. How is it moving you forward today? You know, I, I read, I read my Bible in 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 1989. I read my Bible all the way through, and man, did God really bless me. Well, how many times have you read it since? Uh, not too many. <laughs> uh, so we want to be careful. We want to say what is God doing today for me? What is He going to do into the future for me? What is He going to do to keep me moving? Because God wants to keep us moving forward. I've said it over and over again, there's no such thing as standing still with God. You're either moving forward with Him or you're moving away from Him. And there's no living in the past and just standing still trying to live in the past because it doesn't work. God says, I am. He's always doing things now. And he will do it in the future, and he has done it in the past, and we want to remember the past. Okay, again, I'm not saying, matter of fact, I've even said, mark those. No, remember, when you're down in a low part, remember, God did this for me, he did this for me, but don't dwell and live in those things. Just say, yes, God's been faithful. And because I know he was faithful, he will be faithful. So, do you have a question, a comment? And uh, very important that we keep this in mind that God is always faithful. And He's always got a plan for us. And His plan is always good. The statement where people will say, God is good, and then the response back is all the time, and then all the time, God is good. We want to remember, God is always good, always. And he's not stingy, he wants to bless us. But he will withhold the blessing if we're going to forget him because of the blessing. He wants to bless us. And for, for parents, we do the same thing oftentimes with our kids. It, you know, the kids really want something, but, but we get this sense that if they get it, they're gonna forget where it come, came from and that it was a blessing. And we may hold back from them because we don't want them to be neglectful. And we want to see them be honor what they get. Because the worst thing we can do to God is say, Well, about time you gave it to me, or something of that nature. And how often do we do that? About time, God. About time you get, came through. You know, I got tired of waiting. And God's probably, probably shaking his head like, I didn't have to give it to you. It's a blessing. The only thing He's promised to us is that He's going to meet our needs. And that doesn't mean all the other benefits that He wants to give to us. And God wants to give us benefits. He just doesn't want us forgetting that they are benefits. And here's the children of Israel over and over. God, you just brought us out here. You just wanted to kill us. That's why you brought us out here. You turned away from the promised land. Look at what I did in Egypt. I, I delivered you. I destroyed Egypt to deliver you. I've given you water, I've given you food, I've given you quail when you were complaining. i brought you to the border of the land and showed you the fruit that, you know, a cluster of grapes that had to be carried between two men. Now, I'd love to see a cluster of grapes that big. You now, uh, I've seen somewhere you can hold with two hands, but to have to carry it on a staff between two men, you know, melons that, that they were carrying, you know, and, and they're going, yeah, it's a great land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. And then they go, but but the giants are there. And they see us as grasshoppers. And we talked about don't ever assign motive to people because you never know what they're thinking. Because we were going to find out we find out later on that they were fearful of them. They knew what God had done in Egypt. They were afraid of them. They may have looked like shrimps compared to the giants, but they were afraid of those little people. Okay? Because they knew what God had done. They knew that God had destroyed the mighty empire. And remember, when Israel was coming out of Egypt, Egypt was the empire that ruled basically their known world at that time. If you look at the ancient maps of Egypt, Egypt owned all of of northern Africa, all the way through the Middle East, and up into the Fertile Crescent. They were a large kingdom, a large empire at the time. Now they didn't physically rule, They, they were vassal states, so they technically were separated, but they gave taxes, they, they were subject to Egypt. And these people are afraid because they've seen Egypt or heard of Egypt being destroyed. And we think back, and you know, we talked about this back a long time ago when we talked about the 10 plagues. God destroyed their economy, he destroyed their animals, he destroyed their 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 food, he destroyed the river and killed the, killed the fish. He, he destroyed multiple gods. Every, every one of the 10 plagues were against at least one if not three or four Egyptian gods and so he destroyed their entire pantheon of gods and then sent them out. The people were terrified of the Israel people, the Israelites, because they go God just destroyed, that would be like God destroying the the strongest country in this world to, to release people and people looking like, wow, yeah, they're, they're, they're not there anymore. And so, this is critical for us to keep in mind. And this fiery serpent, where God didn't remove the serpents. And remember, what they wanted him to do was to remove the serpents. But God gave them the way out. If you're bit, look look at the bronze serpent. God oftentimes does that for us. He doesn't take away the problem. He gives us a peace and a contentment and a way through the problem. And this is something we need to be very careful of. When you pray for things, do not pray and tell God how to fix something. Because usually he won't do it the way that you've asked him to do it. And if you're looking for the answer being the way you want it to be, you're going to miss the answer. Paul asked for the thorn on his flesh to be taken away three times, and God says, no, I'm not. This is to teach you And he finally said, okay, I'm going to learn to be content. Oftentimes in my life, and I've said this, uh, especially when I was younger in my marriage, I used to pray that God would change my wife, and he changed me. So I've gotten pretty smart in my old. It didn't take me too many years. In 34 years, I finally managed to learn, okay, God changed me. And he changes me. And I think in the process, he also changes my wife. But I'm the one that gets the most change in those situations. So we want to be careful how we ask God to to fix problems for us because we might not like the way he's gonna fix it if we get our mindset on this is how it has to happen, God. God, my my house is falling apart. I need a new house. God may I just give you somebody along there to fix your house. And you're 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 praying for a new house and God said, here I've got a I've got this person who's willing to do all the work for you. And so we need to be careful that we don't get our expectations set in the wrong in the wrong light. All right, verse ten. And the children of Israel set forward and pitched in Oboth, and they journeyed from Oboth and pitched in Arim in the wilderness, which is before Moab. So they've gone south. They've gone by the Red Sea, and they've come up on the east side of ten and eleven, and they've come up on the east side of Moab, and they're now next. They're now approaching the border of Moab, which is why I'm giving you this calendar. This uh, this uh, map, so you can kind of follow through where we're, what we're talking about. And let's see, verse 12, verse 11, and they journeyed, in the, well, which is before Moab, toward the rising sunrise, in other words, the east side of Moab. From thence they were removed and pitched in the valley of Zared. I'm sorry, I went back to Numbers 21. <laughs> From thence they were removed and pitched in the valley of Zared. From thence they moved and pitched on the other side of Arnon, which is in the wilderness that comes out of the coast of the the Amorites, for Arnon is on the border of Moab, between Moab and the Ammonites, Amorites. So if you look at your map, they're kind of, they're between the next, the top three little territories up there, Ammon and Moab. So they've come a long ways north, and uh, so they're now, well north of Edom, and they're, between, they're right at the border of Moab and Ammon and the, and the wilderness. So they've been doing some hiking. That's a long ways in the middle of the desert. Verse uh, 30, uh, 14. Wherefore it was said in the book of the wars of the Lord what he did in the Red Sea and the brooks of Arnon, and at the stream of the brooks it goes down from the dwelling of Ar and lieth upon the border of Moab. We have no idea what the Book of Wars are. So this is just one of those things that he says, the the Book of War 14, it says Book of Wars. There obviously was some log or or poem or chronicle that listed the wars that they fought. And it would have been good for them, they would have been able to say, "You know, we fought this battle, we fought this battle, we fought this battle and I see what God has done. In 1st King, in Samuel, 1st Kings and Chronicles, they they reference it a lot of times. And in the book of the Chronicles of the King, and it's not the Chronicles in the Bible. It's just the the day-to-day writings of what the kings did. And it wasn't inspired, so we don't have it in today's world. And so every once in a while, they'll refer to books like that and just say, hey, it was written down. And maybe someday somebody will find the book of wars. But we don't know where it is. Verse 16, And from thence they went to Beer, that is, the well thereof that the Lord spoke unto Moses. Gather the people together, and I will give them water. Then Israel sang the song, Spring up, O well, sing you unto it. And the princes digged a well, the nobles and the people digged it, and the, by the direction of the lawgiver, with their staves, and from the wilderness they went to Matah, Matanah. So, God has given them water again. Several times He's given them water out of rocks, He's had them dig wells, and we see that this place must have had a lot of water. Because, think about this, every time we talk about this, we say, we read, God gave them water. Remember, there's about three, and a half mil- three to three and a half million people wandering this desert. That's a lot of water whenever they need water. And they need water quite often. They've got animals that need water. They've got people that need water. They've got children that need, to, need water. And you know, if they're getting enough water, we're talking about a lot of water per person and per animal. So they're digging these wells, and this land that they're digging in must have been supernatural, at least, because it's a lot of water that, to dig these wells. And they are well watered. They they were they were given the water to live. And I love this. And Israel sang a song: "Spring up, O well, sing you unto it." <laughs> can you can you just picture that? You know, they're all singing. You know, spring up, O well. <laughs> you know, I I can picture this. You know, they're they're creating this song. You know, spring up, come out, come forth with the water. And they dug this water. Verse 19. And from Mata, Matanah. To Naha El, and from Naha El to Bamoth, and from Bamoth in the valley that is the country of the Moab to the top of Piscal, which looked toward Jeshemon. So they went to Mount Piscal. Now, does, this, does that name ring a bell to anybody? Yes. And what is Mount Piscal? Do you remember? No. We have a song we sing in, and when we sing the song, I've mentioned what Mount Pisgah is all about. This is the mountain that Moses is going to be brought up onto be, and die on before he... Before the he, promised he land. And he looks into the Promised Land, and that's the most that he's, that he's going to get to do. And why does he not get to go into the Promised Land? Does anybody remember? He hit, he, dis- he hit the rock He hit the... The second time, so God said, speak to, to the rock, and he struck the rock. Didn't he also take credit for it? He took credit for it, too, and he struck it. But the big part was that he struck the rock, and it was supposed to be, the rock was a picture of Jesus producing water, and Jesus was only struck one time, so he ruined the picture that God was trying to to bring out. And by striking it again, instead of speaking, because Jesus was struck for our salvation, then he is the fountain of living water for us, and he doesn't need to be struck a second time. So here they are, they're at Mount Pascal, so they're close enough to, Israel, to the Promised Land to see the Promised Land again. You know, they're right there. We're, we're sitting at 38, 39 years of wandering, so they're getting ready to come into the Promised Land. Alright, verse 21. And Israel sent messengers to si- Sihon king of the Amorites, saying, Let us pass through your land, and we will not turn into the fields or into the vineyards. We will not drink the waters of the well But we will go along the king's highway until we pass your borders. And Sion would not let suffer Israel to pass through his land. But Sion gathered all his people together and went out against Israel into the wilderness. And he came to Shahaz and fought against Israel. Sound a little familiar to the story of Edom? Yeah. Uh, Let us pass. We'll stay on the highway. We won't drink won't drink your water. We won't touch your fields. Uh, they didn't include here, we'll pay for anything that we, you know, if we damage anything, we'll pay for it. But it was probably implied. And his answer was pretty much the same. No. No, and he brought his people. Except he didn't come just to scare them off as the king of Edom did. He came to fight. And verse 24, And Israel smote the edge of the sword and possessed his land from Arnon to Jabrook, even unto the children of Ammon, for the border of the children of Ammon was strong. So God said, allowed them to fight, and they took the land. And they took a lot of land. They took his entire kingdom from him. And then and in verse 25, and Israel took all these cities, and Israel dwelt in the cities of the Amorites, in Heshbon, and in all the villages thereof. So they are now dwelling in some cities. They've got some cities that they can rest in. And these are some the cities that we're looking at now. They're, they're going to go into a lot of conquering at this point. And these are the cities that the two and a half tribes of Israel stay on the east side of Jordan at, when, they, when they march in. And they're going to get permission. And Moses is saying, OK, you can, you know, his first answer is, why, why should we allow you, you know, to stay here while the rest of your brothers go into the land? And they go, we'll let our children and our cattle stay here, and we, all the fighting men, will go, go with you. And they were allowed to do that. Now, what they decided really was not great because the eastern part of Israel was the first part taken by into capta- captivity by the Babylonians. So, you know, they were always in trouble because they kept getting conquered and beat up because they weren't on, yeah, they weren't in the promised land. They wanted to stay outside. And how often do we want to stay outside of God's promises? God, I'm happy with this little bit that you've given me. <laughs> You know, you know, I don't. I don't need all of your blessings. I'm I'm fine and happy with. And I've heard this from people many times. I'm just happy with what God. If God just meets my needs, I'm perfectly happy. Well, God's got a blessing for you. Step into the blessing. Two and a half tribes said, No, we're not going to step into the blessing, and they paid for it for all their generations. We've got to be very careful. Everybody needs to be very careful that they don't judge somebody else's life by what they think they should be doing. Um, because we don't know what they're supposed to be doing. And I've shared this, You know, I, I don't smoke and drink and all that and I don't feel that I, that I ever want to. And I don't do drugs and, and I've not felt that I needed to. That for smoking and drinking, the only thing that God says in the Bible about that is, don't become drunk. So oh, yeah, for God. me, I, there's yeah. no way I can do that. And for me, it would be a sin to even begin to do it. But for somebody who, can, who God hasn't committed that to, then it's not a problem. And we have to be careful because I hear it lots of times from people. Well, they just don't walk like Christians. Well, what do you you mean by that? You You know, what rules are you trying to say that they're not following? And we've got to be careful that we're not trying to judge others by what God has told us to do. Because God has a way for each person to live. And he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And I have enough trouble walking my own life, trying to try and then to try to sit there and tell somebody else they're not walking the way God wants them to walk because I'm not able to do that because they stand and fall before God. And God was very clear that we we are judged by our own master and I'm not the master of anybody. I'm the pastor of a church, but I'm not the master of anybody in the church. If somebody comes to me, we'll look at the Bible and we'll, we'll encourage them, but I'm still not going to tell somebody this is what you've got to do to follow God and this is what you've got to do to follow God. I can say, here's what the Scriptures say. Now, you figure out <laughs> what God wants you to do from that. But it's very presumptuous when somebody tries to tell you that you're not living correctly. And there are lots of Christians that try to do that. Lots of them, unfortunately. A non-Christians. me <laughs> well, I, non-Christians, I don't count non-Christians. I'm not so, living like a Christian. Yeah, well, Christ, non non Christians have very high opinions of it. It's very very sad that non Christians have way too high a vision of what Christians are supposed to do, and unfortunately, most Christians have way too low a vision of how we're supposed to live. You know, we need to kind of swap it around and have a little higher vision for our life than than what, because I've heard many people. Well, well, God will forgive me, and he he's he's going to be merciful. You're right, he's going to forgive you, but you're going to pay for you're going to pay for what you do wrong. So you better try to live the way God wants you to live and challenge yourself to let him crucify your flesh and live the way he wants you to live. Satan will find something to make you guilty or feel yeah. like you've done something in the past that uh, you've done or whatever. Well, he'll he's always trying to condemn us. Condemn, yeah, and, and God convicts. And God convicts us. Verse 26, For Hesron was the city of Sinan, the king of Amorite, who fought against the former king of Moab, taking the land out of his hand even to Arnon. Wherefore they speak in Proverbs and say, come to Heshbon, let the city of Zion be built and prepared. For there is a fire gone out of Heshbon, the flame of the city of Zion, Sihon, and it has consumed Arb, er, Ar of Moab and the lords of the high places of Arnon. So it went out to be a, this idea that, you know, they've lost, the, they've lost their cities. Okay, they took their cities. Verse 29 Woe unto you, Moab, you are undone or destroyed. The people of Gamash, he has taken, have, he has given his sons that escaped and his daughters into captivity unto Zion, king of the Amorites. Uh, Kemosh is the uh, Moab, god of war. He would be the equivalent of Mars. <coughs> in the Greek, Greek mythology. Uh, so this is this is their God of war, and he's been defeated. So here we're seeing again, God is defeating the gods of the people there. And we're seeing that statement here. We, verse 30, We have shot them at Hesbon, and hes- Hesbon has perished even in Dibon. They have laid them waste even unto Nephah, Nef- Nef- which reached into Medaba Thus, Israel dwelt in the land of the Amorites. So here we go again. It's bringing out, they're starting to live in the wrong side of the promised land. And again, we want to be careful that we don't get content on the wrong side of the promised land. And this is what I keep saying. This is not our home. This world is not our home. For a Christian to get content in this world completely content. I mean, we're to be content with what God gives us, but if we are to be satisfied with what the world gives us, we don't have our eyes on the right, right target, and we're shortchanging ourselves, and we want to be careful about that. Verse 2, And Moses sent to spy out Ja'azrez, and they took the villages thereof, and drove out the Amorites that were there, and they turned and went up by the way of Bashan, and Og, the king of Bashan, went out against him, and all the people to the battle of Edriai, And the Lord said unto Moses, Fear him not, I have delivered him into your hand, all his people in his land, and you shall do to him as you did to Sion, king of the Amorites, which dwelt in Heshbon. So they smote him, and his sons, and all his people, until there were none left of him alive, and they possessed his land. So we're now starting to see the Israelites owning land. They're now getting. They're now getting to a place where they're going to be settled a little bit. They're not not wandering. They've got it. They're conquering land, and and all of it's on the wrong side of the wrong side of the Jordan. They're on the east side of the Jordan where they're not supposed to be, but they're getting victories and moving forward. All right, we're going to close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we've had to look at your. You're moving mightily in the hand of the Israelites as they're wandering. You've given the provision to look by faith and be healed. And Lord, we ask that you go with us as we go out today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.